Well, good morning and welcome everyone. It's Coach Kizzy Harris here. I'm really delighted that you've joined me for this, the third in my series of shows called Making a Difference. In today's show, we're going to be talking about creating community. And as usual, I've got some wonderful guests lined up. Ordinary people who are doing extraordinary things. They will be sharing their own stories of how and why they have made personal changes to live more purposefully and to have a positive influence within their own communities. Now around the world, many have been following the launch of the Soyuz space rocket and subsequent reports from the International Space Station back to Earth by Major Tim Peake and his colleagues. It is incredible that through the rapid advances in technology, even without leaving our house, we can be connected to space. And we now hear the world being described as a global village, inferring that no one is very far away. So that, for me, has begged the question, who is my neighbour? And where is my community? In this digital world, is there still local community? And if so, what is its purpose and what role do we have within it? Well, to help explore that very topic, I have two guests lined up. The first is Claire Seek. She lives on the south coast of England and has an impressive career history which included IBM. Now Claire changed her life in recent years to be able to focus on her passion for developing local community. She's a mother of two young children and says that she enjoys looking at the world through their questioning eyes. And since they've now both started school, she's now freeing up more time to explore ways of connecting with others in her local community. Claire, hello and welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello. Hello. So, Claire, as you look at community through your children's questioning eyes, what is it that you see? Um, I suppose community for me can be um, a variety of things. It's it's either something that's kind of um, a group of people that share some kind of common interest. Um, and I guess there's a bit more of an increase in that nowadays with social media as well. Um or the other one, which is the area that I am trying to f- spend more time focusing on, um, you know, literally where people live. So the people that live in the kind of same place and area. And what kind of area is it that you're living in? Can you sort of paint a bit of a picture for our uh, listeners about that? Yep. So I live um, on the south coast of England and um, we actually live in the most densely populated city outside of London, um, although it's a very small city. Um, so lots of housing packed in. But thankfully, with an eight minute walk to the sea, so you can, can see the horizon and, and feel connected with the rest of the planet as well. Lovely. Um, but yeah, it's a very densely populated, although, um, and so it's quite a mixed um, community as well. Um, there's some fairly well off individuals, um, but we've also got housing um, with students and um, sort of multiple occupancy, um, quite a transitional community in some places as well. So, um, a varied mm. local community and when you say it's a, a transient what, what what makes it like that 
Um, so partly, I think the nature of the modern world, um, you know, there are quite a lot of people who are maybe a bit more well off, but are, you know, chasing the de- next promotion and career choices. So quite often some people, you know, I think that's just partly the nature of the Western world we live in, where people, you know, move with promotions and for jobs. Um, so I don't think there's many people that would necessarily say that they're here for life, although um, there are maybe quite a few people that have been born in the city, but, you know, move around um, to different uh housing at different points uh you've obviously as i said got students that are only here for a, a short period of time um and then in the multiple occupancy housing as well we have uh people you know just on probation who are just here and aiming to get somewhere else um or people that are just you know that's the kind of stop gap and they're aspiring to to live somewhere different so it, it's yeah there's, there's quite a lot of change although you know you, within a year obviously it's there's there's a core of people that are, are here so you, you sort of said in um, in your bio that your your children are out at school and you're free up to explore more ways of connecting with others in your local neighbourhood. So what is it for you that uh, makes you so passionate about this local community um, idea? Um. It's interesting because so I I grew up um, part of my childhood um, was spent in Africa and um, it was really interesting, you know, even at a very young age to kind of see community within African villages. And um, and then throughout my kind of career, I've I've had quite a varied career. I think, you know, you've mentioned I've been at IBM, so the kind of multinationals and I've worked in um, local authority and I've I've run a small business. And um, the one thing that I think. The, the, as the older I get um, the more I, I come back to is the fact that you know we're kind of made to be in community and, and interdependence makes sense you know for humans um, and the planet as well um, and you know as we talk a bit about the global village you know our things that we do here have implications in other places um, but I think what I've really felt with um, I've done quite a lot of my work is um I've spent sort of looking at uh, justice issues and eradicating poverty and you might spend quite a lot of time looking at the extreme situations but I've really noticed in recent years that actually even when you live in the slightly more well-off places financially um, there's quite a poverty um, in our streets and in our neighbourhoods you know quite often people who are working all the time you know you barely see neighbours uh, as you just you know get out of your car and get into your house and and go off and maybe do some of your social more social interests um but there can actually be a lot of people that are very isolated in that and especially when you've got kind of needs um you know there's not kind of the local family uh, as people have moved and there's not um local people that you know uh, to help out and certainly when um I first had kids you know, obviously your life changes quite immensely uh, when you're on maternity leave and just having sanity of other mothers to kind of journey with and understand small children. And I really, really valued um, my friends around me um, who supported me in that. And and that was really a, a time when I think I noticed um, more greatly just by spending more time, you know, at home and in the local neighbourhood um, that there was something kind of lacking in my mind you know I wasn't getting everything I wanted and the more I spoke to people people were saying oh yes no I don't really know anyone and yeah wouldn't it be good to kind of connect more and and you know I even had friends that moved uh, to be closer to parents um to try and get some of that support um 
So which is why I've kind of freed up some of my time to, to maybe try and attempt to change some of that. So what kind of things um, have you been uh, doing to, to try to eradicate some of those um, uh, unconnected uh, areas then? Well, um, having small children um, on, on one level is a great blessing because you just naturally meet more people, um, you know, like play groups and uh, just being in our we've got a park at the end of our street just being there and talking to other adults <laughs> you, know, you need to get away from potty training and all those kind of things conversations at some point um, but obviously there are children and juggling employed work and all those kind of things are very time consuming so I've really started small and spent the last few years before the kids started school just with little steps so it was even things like we've got a very small front yard but we're right near a corner um, and lots of people kind of walk past us to get to shops and we've converted that into a help yourself herb garden so um i just got really frustrated with the fact that you know for a recipe you might need a little bit of this herb or a little bit of that and you'd go to the supermarket or the veg shop and end up with a whole pot or a bag and like never use it before it either withered and died on the window ledge or anything like that and discovered that herbs actually do much better you know when you're using them lot so we've just we literally knocked down our our front wall now so people can just lean over and you know get some bay leaves or rosemary or mint and, and that kind of thing um and that has just been really good at actually just meeting people as you you know tend tend the plants and watering them in the summer and that kind of stuff um and i've also done stuff with the kids so things like we've got a street tree which is just a tree with a bit of dirt at the bottom of it and we um just chucked down some poppy seeds one year and they went wild and we've done um sunflowers with um international gorilla gardening sunflower day on the first of may and um daffodils so little little things like that um also the social media aspect um i've set up a facebook group which when i've organized some events in the park it was it was really just to start using that um but that's grown a little bit more as well and people sort of share information and share things so you know just the other day someone said oh i need some jump leads can anyone help and uh, you know someone within a couple of minutes had had solved the problem so ways of just really I suppose the key for me was just being um, starting to find some ways to connect with people um, just even to be able to say hello um, and recognize each other a bit more um, and trying I suppose there's been a little bit more recently trying to connect in with some individuals that you you just can't meet on the street so um, opposite our park we have an old people's home um, and the individuals in there generally um, aren't able physically to get out so much anymore. So um, the last couple of years I've taken just some of the local kids in on um, the week before Christmas and we've sung carols to them and started to connect in, in ways like that. So just really little bits. Wow, honestly, I'm listening to this and I'm thinking that probably everybody who's listening is thinking, I want to live in her street. <laughs> so, so Claire, I'm just, one of the things that I'm sort of hearing is um, maybe there's something about you wanting to make your, the, the actual physical environment nicer. I'm sort of hearing things about beautiful flowers and um, maybe, you know, there's something about you, you um creating a, a a more pleasant environment would is that something you've purposefully intended to do or is that just something that i'm imagining from what you're saying um yeah i think in recent years i've become much more kind of aware of um the environment that we live in and, and climate um 
and um and partly again having children i've kind of looked a little bit more about actually within our small space how can we live in a more sustainable way and you know it's it's tiny steps to be um sharing herbs but i think as well living in a city where um it's just a lot of brick um there's a few streets in the city that you know get slightly higher price values because you walk down it and it's just some trees mm, and greenery mm-hmm. and um you know we've got a tiny backyard so it's not like you know we live somewhere where we've got the kids can go out and play um and you know enjoy being on the grass um you know we have a a concrete backyard that kind of works for storing bicycles and drying the nappies um so for me it is about um yeah trying to you know green up our environment a bit as well because I think as well as connecting with people it's also connecting with the earth Mm. and the planet and um that's quite hard to do in a city Mm. uh, where it's very brick heavy and road heavy um so and also the park that I've mentioned at the end of the street you know it's lovely but it's very basic um and so we've tried to use that as well to um bring people together and planting is just a really basic thing I suppose that you know I I don't really know much about planting um and uh but it's very forgiving you can like stick a seed in the ground and water it and hope there's some sun and and see what goes and then it's very satisfying um and so we've managed to run a few events for people you know like planting bulbs and things like that but actually just the joy that we get out of you know seeing the bulbs that we planted last year um and connecting with people in that has been really good and Claire where do you get these kind of ideas from um I don't know uh, I mean I do I read and I you know I mean the world of the internet is an amazing thing for connecting mm. with people doing things in other um, areas of the world and I am quite inspired by um, again as I was saying you know looking at sort of climate change and the climate there's um, some brilliant you know programs on Al Jazeera and things where um, you hear about what people are doing around the other side of the world and think oh I wonder if we could do that here you know why not um and also the other thing is, I think quite a lot of people have ideas, but don't necessarily um, have the time or the inclination or even the imagination to think, oh, maybe I could do it. So things like planting around the bottom of the street tree, the amount of comments we've had about, oh, well, who did you get permission from to do that? Um, and fe- people feel quite, you know, needing of permission to do things, um, which for some reason I I've just grown up not necessarily needing that and maybe pushing some boundaries and I think it's much easier to beg forgiveness than ask permission so you know sometimes it's just getting on and doing it um but also hearing other people's ideas so one of the local kids said oh it'd be really great to uh we've got a an international street artist that comes from our city he's like oh it'd be great to get him to to teach us some street art and we've got a you know big wall on the side um, of a sports center here and it was like great well let's get on and do it you know and then just just by asking around and, and doing stuff stuff happens um so some of it is just yeah giving it a go and and one thing often leads to another it's not like I planned all these things at the start it's just sort of one thing happens and you think oh maybe we could do this or someone says oh what about this and like great let's do that together so how did you actually go about starting all of this I mean there's you know there's loads of things that you've done but you know what was really the 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 first sort of step really for for actually getting your ideas turned into action Maybe the first thing was just um, the reality of frustration, you know, uh, when you've had ideas or um, you kind of think, oh, no, do you know what? I just need to get on and, 
and do it but do something small to start with um i remember someone saying i'm sure i've no idea who said it originally but you know it's easier to move uh to change direction of something that's moving than sitting still um and you know it was just something like oh let's let's just do something tiny so i think it did start with the sunflower planting and i was just a bit inspired and with the kids you know it seemed like a really great idea to grow some sunflowers um in public spaces um so it was just like oh let's try it and mentioned it to a few other mums and they went oh I'd be really up for that um so it was nothing particularly grand it was just like oh why not it's a sunny day <laughs> let's get on and do it and from from that one sort of planting of the sunflower how has that then gone on to develop into other things well, ironically, very few of those sunflowers <laughs> led to anything. The council mowed quite a lot of them. Uh, I think birds. So, so I've learnt quite a bit from that. But uh, I think what happened was the fact that there were other people that went, oh, no, yes, uh, this is really great. Um, uh, even to the point with that actual first one, my son at the time was only probably about one and a half, two. Um, and there was a, a guy in the park who was, um, let's say, somewhat inebriated. Um, but him and my son had this brilliant time of pl- digging this tiny hole and planting a seed um and and it was just a lovely way of just connecting people that you know often in our society we try and avoid maybe um so I think that just kind of spurred me on to think oh maybe we can do a bit more um and it it's kind of led to to different things as I've spoken to different people so things like we started doing an annual well we started doing an easter egg hunt in the park one easter and I say annual because it it just got such a response um, and everyone went great we'll see you here next year will we um, and other people went oh yes and I've run a small business I'd be really up for sponsoring it so some things sort of just take a life of their own um, and it becomes annual um, and other things um, so I've actually had to set up a bit of an organization which um, just because someone wanted to give us some funding but wouldn't prepare to put it in my bank account as an individual um, so some things have just sort of naturally led to other things um and then I guess as people get to know what you're doing as well I've been really surprised by how many people have have said oh I'd love to do that where I am um which then again just puts a bit more I suppose faith in yourself that the idea that you've got isn't just some idea that you've cooked up but you know there's life in it and that spurs you on to to do more and um to progress it um and more people sort of come up and say oh we're can you help do this or uh, you know the council now even come you know they emailed me just before Christmas said we've, we've got a spare bag of bulbs would you like to sort out an event or doing a tree dressing do you think you guys could do one in your park um, and it you know it all links back to my initial desire to connect with more people and as long as it's doing that I figure let's let's carry on um, and I don't quite know where it will lead I suppose I've got a vision a little bit of where I'd like the community to be in sort of 10 20 years time but I've got no idea how we'll get there so it's just about taking one step and kind of seeing what each thing brings. So what difference do you think this has made to your community Claire? Um, it definitely has connected uh, more people so people talk about um, you know how they've met people through different bits um, 
and also it means I can connect other people so when I find people um, one of the things we've done for example is set up a food buying group because um, there's some of us that were interested in reducing packaging um, and buying organic and um, you know to do that we end up with some giant lorry rocking up every other month now and uh, delivering stuff and um, so that's interesting as people kind of spread the word that's grown um, and so just naturally people then connect with others um, and I hope it's um, lets people wanting to stay a bit more rather than transition in fact I even heard of someone that's moving into the area in a couple of weeks I was like yes wow. I'm sure it's not because of what I do but they're quite excited about what we're doing and you know connecting into that so that's quite nice um, and you know there are some people that have moved to the area that we've managed to connect in that I don't know would have met neighbours quite so quickly um, had it not been for some of the things we do um, but you know I really feel it's just kind of the start of the start there's a, a long way to go um, and there are some people you know who aren't interested in it at all and uh, and others that obviously we haven't uh, managed to connect and I'm really interested in kind of how can we get to the people that are the most isolated um, but how can we build relationships so that when any of us kind of come across challenges and and situations you know we've got people to turn to um, and even things like the sharing possessions you know I'm I, I think it's ridiculous how much stuff we store in our own houses just you know for the odd occasion that we need a drill or a ladder and well not a lawnmower in our cases obviously we have lawns, <laughs> but um, you know just even things like that where we can share possessions more which means we we can spend less money you know on these things that kind of clutter our lives today um, and and it has led I think a little bit more in obviously this time of austerity um, you know there's a little bit more of actually what can we do together so certainly like the parks team I think is starting to rely on us a bit more about uh, some of the ideas they've got you know they know there are active people in the community that can maybe step into some of the gaps as, as they um, you know face cuts uh, which hopefully um, mitigates some of the, the challenges that that brings so, Clay, you've talked a lot about your children um, within all of this. What difference has this made for them and their growing up? Well, my daughter, who's now seven, absolutely loves getting involved um, and, uh, you know, helping organise stuff and run stuff. So I think it's it's giving them quite um, quite a good grounding in you know getting on and doing things and uh, my four-year-old came back from school the other day and he was like oh mummy we're being told not to talk to strangers in the park he was like but you talk to people in the park you don't know all the time <laughs> so um there's some some conversations to have with yeah, that obviously sure. um but I think it, it's hopefully it's helping them um actually see that there there can be community and connectivity and you know I mean they're brilliant at it because you know they don't see the the differences that adults have kind of uh, grown to see um, and and also it means you know they're connecting more with different generations um, so things like going into the you know the the care home on the street um, you know as as we uh, that you know they don't have the great grandparents to see anymore you know there's there's that um across the generations which I think is really important as well mm, mm. um yeah so and it certainly leads to questions they're my little ambassadors in school as well they're always getting you know people to come along to things that we're organizing so um yeah maybe little community leaders of the future <laughs> I'm sure they are I'm sure and for you personally what difference has this made for you 
Um, on some very practical levels, uh, you know, my neighbours help me out in times when uh, I need to borrow things or uh, need help with kids for something. Um, but it just means I like being here more. Um, you know, I, I don't want to ever move. Um, I love being able to see people and connect. And, you know, I some of my paid employment is, is based from home. So it can be, you know, it's not like I go to work and stand and natter. Uh, with people uh, in the kitchen making a coffee or anything like that Um, and so actually just even you know going for a little walk and being able to see people and and have a brief chat and connecting with other humans in the real world not just uh, over the internet um, I think actually probably helps my my mental well-being as well Um, and it's really encouraging isn't it when you when you're doing something that um, others seem to value and get life out of um, you know that that motivates me and um yeah helps me in my feeling of that you know what I'm spending time doing has um has some worth and um fits in with kind of my passions so I think I get loads from it <laughs> and I, I don't need to be paid to do it uh which obviously is a relatively privileged position to be in but um I strongly believe in you know doing things that you are excited and passionate about and um connecting people is one of those things that kind of makes me buzz so it's great I love life oh that's fantastic so Claire what's next um well both kids are now in school so um I and uh some of my paid work has changed recently so I've taken the decision not to increase um my paid work hours and interesting enough the more you connect with other people uh, the cheaper life becomes you know like I was saying you don't have to have stuff you don't have to in the same way you can share more things so um, it's good to be able to have that opportunity but as I was saying just trying to increase um, the connections and um, there's some stuff in the city which is looking at um, actually growing in the urban environment and increasing that so uh, that's something I'm really interested to explore a bit more um, with some of the local kind of people groups in the area but and also just the space you know there's lots of just empty space in front of like the multiple occupancy housing it's like oh actually can we do stuff there to make the place look nicer uh connect people grow stuff and you know is it another way to um, get more people connected to each other so it's just little steps again uh but each little step takes you somewhere else absolutely and all of those small steps can make a massive massive difference well maybe next time you come down here i can pass on some of the seeds from our flower beds for you to um, plant out in in your community that would be great (laughs) nice a nice way of connecting up a little bit further afield yes that would be brilliant (laughs) and it is lovely just to get out into the countryside every so often from the inner city and uh, you know be inspired by what you can do with a bit more (laughs) so Claire thank you very much it's absolutely inspiring uh, hearing all the different things that you've been doing and and are doing in your community so thank you so much for joining us and I hope that you have many many more years of creating community together thanks Kizzy great talking thank you bye-bye So what an inspirational woman. Remember, all that started with Claire, simply as one young mum who wanted to do something to make a difference within her community. So I wonder then, what difference might you be able to make if your actual job is community-based? 
Well, here to hopefully help me explore that question is a local vicar, the Reverend Paul Clark, along with the dog Charlie, from uh, the Diocese of Bath and Wells. Paul, hello. Hello. Well, thank you very much for joining me. Um, now, I suppose I probably ought to start by saying um, it's perhaps fair to say that the established church no longer holds the same position in society as it did perhaps 50 years ago. Um, now, we sort of live in this multicultural society now. So what role, if any, would you say that the church now has within its local community? Yeah, if you're talking about local rural communities, which is where I serve, um, have a massive influence still. Very often the church is the only place. Uh, it's kind of a spiritual home and has been for villages for hundreds of years and people still feel that connection to their local church even if they don't come on a Sunday morning and you find that it's not uncommon in villages for many many people to be involved in the church to, to be involved in church activities whilst not necessarily becoming worshipping members so while the statistics show a very steady slow de decline in organised religion as it were that only really measures the Sunday morning attendance. Mm -hmm. And uh, what you don't see is the many, many people who use the church for quiet reflection, for prayer, uh, and or are involved in some of the activities the church are involved with. So it's still a big, big part of village life and a very important one. So when you say some of the activities, what sort of activities um, might people be uh, involved with within their rural local church? Predominantly uh, social community based activities, so it could range from a coffee morning to a sale uh, to something more focused. Um, and obviously some of the larger churches are involved in a lot of social action things, not only for their own villages but for, for food banks and for wider charities around the world. So um, the breadth of what the church is involved with being both a local and a national church is quite staggering if you sit back and think about it. It can range from uh, raising money for Zambia to a local coffee morning uh, just to get the community together and on a cold wet morning for a cup of tea. Mm -hmm. So it's quite staggering really if you think about the amount of things that the church is involved with. Mm -hmm. So how would you define uh, community? Um, I think it's a, it's a massive question and um, one which I mull over quite a lot. Uh, but this inbuilt desire, this need that we have to relate to each other, uh, to show and receive love to one another, is just a massive part of what it means to be human and I would say a part that God has placed there. And that manifests itself in different ways, as we've seen with social networking and things now. You don't have to physically be in the same room as somebody to, to share that. But actually, you can't beat face-to-face -face, uh, you know, contact with other people. Mm -hmm. The sharing of each other's burdens, each other's loads, the highs and lows. And that's what the village church has been at the heart of since its very beginning. Mm. Um, and it is there to share in that journey with people. Mm. Uh, you know, for those coming to be baptised, <laughs> celebrating with a wedding, or at the sad and more difficult parts of taking a funeral, it's always been there. 
And for me, that's community together. And Charlie obviously agrees because he's <laughs> joining in. <laughs> Sorry about those noises, Charlie, Charlie the dog. So you've mentioned the village church. For, for our listeners, can you sort mm. of describe what kind of community you, you serve? The community I serve, as I say, are rural communities. Um, there, there's no sense of poverty in, in, a, in a financial way. Um, it's fairly middle class in most mm -hmm. of the villages and uh, fairly small villages as well, but very strong communities, I would say. Um, there's not that many people that don't interact with their neighbours, that don't get involved in something in the village. So as a vicar, I come into those communities alongside them and their existing groups and things that they do. Uh, so it's a real privilege to be able to do that. Um, there's a distinct difference between rural communities and, and towns and cities. There's a lot more community stuff goes on, I would say. Mm -hmm. A lot more focused community stuff mm -hmm. in, in a village. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the pleasures and privileges of being a rural vicar. So where do you sort of see your boundary of community being? Because there is, as you've sort of said something about this sort of global mm. church um, yeah, and, and yet you're in a very rural, um, what you've described as a rural village so mm. where, where's the boundary for you? And that's a wonderful thing about the Church of England because <laughs> yeah. I, I've been called and I minister to a village uh, like Henton for example with 400 people and I'm their vicar and that's my focus mm -hmm. but as a Church of England uh, we have a national focus, so I'm plugged into what's happening as a church nationally, and that includes uh, any social action things and community things that that entails. And of course it's global, the Anglican Communion, communion is a global entity, and uh, any time we can plug in with that, with our brothers and sisters uh, abroad as well. So there's so many different levels of community that we can get involved with, but what makes the Church of England uh, amazing to me is that it predominantly comes from the community, that small community, that small village community, mm. and we can plug in upwards whenever we want. Mm. So the focus is in the grassroots, mm. Mm. Uh, and we work away from there. And mm. um, now, <laughs> probably your least favourite uh, joke is that vicars only work on a Sunday. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you heard, heard that one uh, several times. Um, can you outline for us, I mean, is there a typ typical week? What, what would a typical week for you uh, look like? Uh, no, there's not a typical week, uh, which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. uh, every day is completely different. Uh, there's inevitably a lot of meetings, because uh, church governance spawns uh, meetings <laughs> of all manner of things. And, of course, the more you do as a church, the more meetings you have to have to organise it. Mm -hmm. And we have very active churches. Mm -hmm. uh, and, as I say, there's the other more poignant parts of ministry, uh, pastoral support for people and particularly pastoral support through difficult times uh, and obviously through bereavement and um, funeral ministry is a big part of it, as well as the more happier times uh, preparing uh, couples for their wedding day or preparing um, children for baptism and walking their parents through that process. And uh, really, in, the, in amongst all of that, what's the most important thing as being a rural vicar is to get out into the community and to go where they are at and to be able to talk to them 
and have a cup of tea with people and find out what's going on in their lives. And the pressure really is to separate the meeting stuff and to make sure you still can get out there and see people. And being a vocational job, it's really hard to to, to think what hours you're doing. Um, I came from a nine to five job, so it's hard for me sometimes to get my head around how many hours I'm doing, um, because it's constant. Um, the only thing I do protect is to have a day off every week, mm. and I'm very strict with that, having a young family. But the rest of the week is pretty much fair game, so it's not uncommon to do a 70-hour week, uh, and fairly regular. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to measure, because you immerse yourself into the local community uh, completely, and, and all that entails so going to a quiz night, for example, may not seem like work, but it most certainly is because you're out, you want to talk to people, you want to meet people and you want to go where people are. And sit on the table that has all the answers. Well, ideally, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And try to hide when the uh, religion ones come up. <laughs> How did you move them from a nine-to-five job into becoming a vicar? Well, uh, I use the word calling, but I don't use it lightly. That is something that's perhaps overused at times, but it's the only way I can describe the feeling that I was constantly felt nudged or pulled towards something different, something different to what I was doing at the time. And I was very happy doing what I was doing at the time. It wasn't as if I was looking for a change, but it got to the stage where I felt this nudging was to such extent that I had to do something about it. And the absolute last thing I would ever look at was being a vicar mm -hmm. because I went to church as a child and had pretty grim experiences of sitting in large, <laughs> cold yeah. uh, churches with quite stern vicars. And uh, that's the last thing I ever thought I would do. But inevitably, I, I felt called by God. I could get on those nudges to the point where I couldn't really refuse and I pitched up at the local vicar's doorstep one day and said uh, this might sound crazy but I think I'm called to be a vicar and luckily he wasn't one of the stern ones <laughs> and he was very accommodating and uh, that started my journey off. So what were you doing before? I was an aviation buyer so I bought and made sure I got to site various aircraft parts right. and uh, it sounds more exciting than it was, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. It was a logistical role, which yeah. um, I quite enjoyed. Yeah. Um, but looking back now, obviously, it's not half as fulfilling as what I'm doing now. Yeah. Uh, I've certainly reached a point now, and I did have doubts during my training, and I, and I thought at times, whatever have I done? And I've dragged my family around, moving house three times. The kids have changed schools. The dogs are not very happy. <laughs> And I thought, what have I done? But all through that, I got that sense that I was following the right path. And I've been in my first post as a vicar now for a year. And I just feel like I've come home. You know, I just feel that I'm where I should be, where I've called to be. And ministry has its most difficult parts. It has its upsetting parts. It has stressful parts. And you almost live a roller coaster life every day where you can go from a funeral to an assembly with children and expected to uh, respond accordingly. But what keeps me through the more difficult parts is that feeling that I'm where I'm supposed to be. 
So you've alluded to some of the uh, challenges and difficulties. What what would you say for you have been the biggest challenges of, of being a vicar? I think it is the times when you're perhaps feeling a bit down yourself, when things are difficult. I'm not an extrovert. My default way of dealing with things is probably to shut the study door and to hide away. But you can't do that as a vicar. Mm. As I say, you might have to go out and face a hundred children and do a school assembly or you might have to meet uh, you know, the widow of someone who's just committed suicide and you have to learn to put your own feelings to one side but also uh, not put them to one side completely because I want to enter into that relationship I want to try to show them the love of God as well mm -hmm. and to do so you have to be slightly vulnerable mm -hmm. Um, so it's. I think the most difficult thing for me is to balance that, mm. and I don't always get it right, but I'm I'm learning. Mm. Mm. So, what are the best bits about being a vicar? The best bits are the absolute joy and privileges to do it, mm. uh, to to just be in that space, uh, to be able to be alongside people, to share in their journeys, whichever way that may take. And just at times to be in that privileged position to point God out along the, along the way. Mm -hmm. And to say, do you know what? God is in that situation and mm -hmm. there. And it's just such a privilege to do. Mm -hmm. It really is. And uh, there's not often the day goes by where I don't get home and think, it's just such an amazing job mm -hmm. or vocation to do. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I'm in a privileged position where one of the few organisations in the world that will, will allow me to do it. Uh, to, to provide me with a house and a, and a stipend for my family so that I can do this full time. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's not a day goes by when I don't think that's, it's just amazing to be able to do. Mm -hmm. mm. So I'd say that's a, the highest point really. I can go from talking with a school child and have the most profound discussion about God <laughs> uh, to something much different within the space of an hour. Mm. It's brilliant. Mm. Now, a lot of people come to me as a coach because they're seeking a career with more purpose. And I noticed from um, your uh, email signature that part of your role is a vocations chaplain. Mm. Uh, what, what does that mean? What, what does that involve? Well, it's a position. Uh, as I say, I enjoy uh, being alongside people. I enjoy, I enjoy being with them for the journey. And uh, the way I found my own vocation was just this calling, this nudging all of the time. Um, so we really start with the belief that everybody's got a vocation. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got a vocation. Uh, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. God will be calling you. There's that, that shaped hole for you to fit in that I found myself. So I see my role as a vocations chaplain as, as getting alongside people at at that stage of the journey when they're feeling that nudging mm -hmm. they'll always contact me because they're feeling some kind of nudging some kind of calling in a variety of different ways to do something mm -hmm. and it's wonderful to be able to sit down with those people and really explore what that might be now that may be called to be a vicar but it could be anything mm -hmm. um, um, and there's so many different ways people can fulfill that feeling and totally different ways that God could be calling. Uh, my job really is to sit with them and walk alongside them and see where that takes us mm -hmm. and maybe help along the way. 
So what are some of the uh, options? It's absolutely limitless really. I mean obviously I, the majority of people I see are people that feel called to some kind of church leadership mm -hmm. or uh, um, within some sort of leadership position within the church. So with under that becomes a whole raft of different uh, ministry including ordained ministry so that would be priests and chaplains uh, alongside lay leadership which would be reading ministry, lay worship, lay pastoral assistance. Uh, it could lead people down any number of paths but of course um, you know we go we start with that supposition that everybody's got vocation and that could equally be something completely different it could be youth work it could be uh, cleaning the church it could be making the tea it could be absolutely anything there are so many different ways of serving the local church uh, it's just a matter of finding out what God is doing in people's lives and where he's nudging them towards to, to go mm. So if there was somebody uh, that was listening that uh, was feeling that uh, nudge, um, what advice would you give them? Where, where do they need to, to go or who, who do they need to speak to? I mean, very often by the time you get to the stage of feeling nudged, you, I believe God's been nudging you for a very long time <laughs> before you actually get to the stage of acknowledging mm. you know, what's going on here. So I would say... Uh, a good thing to do would be to take some time out, whether that be a retreat or, or, or some other way of getting some space, getting some headspace, and think about the journey you've already been on, because the clues will have already have happened. Mm -hmm. uh, there'll be things in your life which you felt called or nudged to do, which will all feed in to this greater uh, thing that you may be called to. So I think the greatest piece of advice to give and, and what I often give to people that come is to take that time, look at the journey you've been on already and that will give you massive clues as to what God may be calling you to do in the future. Mm -hmm. And it's very likely, in fact nearly always likely, that you've already started the journey mm -hmm. unwittingly. Mm -hmm. mm. And Paul, if there are people listening who perhaps don't necessarily feel that they are looking for um, vocational fulfilment mm. but would like to be more involved in their community, playing a more active role in their community. Mm. Um, what advice would you give to them? Well I'd be biased and say go to your local <laughs> church but, but because the church does not just exist for the local Christians in that area mm. Uh, the church exists for every single person in that parish. It's a unique organisation like that. And uh, therefore, there are loads of ways of getting involved in your local church, which, and which doesn't mean that you have to become part of the worshipping community there mm. as well. Mm. And as I say, there's so many things that the local church are involved with, uh, particularly when it comes to social action mm -hmm. and food banks and mm -hmm. Zambia and, and you name it, mm. there's, there's somebody out there doing it. Um, you can get plugged into those things and help uh, quite easily, I would say. And it's a great place to start to find community as well. Mm -hmm. uh, very often people come as a community, uh, even to church on a Sunday morning, not always to worship. Sometimes they'll come to just be with others. Mm -hmm. And that's absolutely fine. Mm -hmm. And I welcome that. Mm -hmm. Lovely. Thank you, Paul. Well, Paul, thank you very much for taking the time and making the time to join me in uh, your very busy 
schedule. Um, now, I believe you've got a short blessing or prayer uh, that you would like to share with us just as we finish. So may we thank God for the towns, villages and cities that we live in. We thank God for the ways that we are part of other people's lives. And we thank God for the ways that we can work out our faith in our communities alongside others, offering service to them and receiving service ourselves. And we pray that we can show God's love to each other in our relationships and our attitudes and activities. Amen. Oh, thank you, Paul, for those really lovely words. And don't forget that if you're feeling that nudging that Paul was talking about, or if you sense that you would like to have some time out to work out your next step, then please do get in touch. I offer Skype, telephone and face-to-face -face coaching sessions. And later this year, I'm going to be opening up my lovely Somerset small holding for quiet days and residential stays if you feel that you're in need of some headspace. Now, if you'd like to get in touch, you can contact me via Twitter, which is at goodlifekizzy, or my website, www.goodlifecoaching.co.uk. That's www.goodlifecoaching.co.uk. My email is goodlifecoachinguk at gmail.com. Or, of course, you can contact me via the Coach International Radio site. Well, that brings us to the end of this show. Thank you again to my guest, Claire and Paul. Do tune in again, 9am Thursday the 25th of February, when I'll be focusing on the difference creating space can make for us, and that's both in the physical and emotional sense. Until then, keep on making a difference, even if it's only for one. <laughs>